0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hey church, I'm excited to come to you today. I'm down in Anchor Faith Church, St. Augustine, Florida. Excited to be recording an opportunity to encourage you with the word of God today. Um, This is gonna be an opportunity to build your faith, strengthen your faith, and um, just want to take some time to get in the word. There's no greater way to encourage yourself, build yourself up, uh, especially in times of crisis or challenge than to be in the word. And so I pray this word will bless you. Um, as we're going to jump into this, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you that it is steadfast, it is certain, even in uncertain times, Father. We can stand on your word. It is an anchor for our soul, it is a solid rock that we can be grounded and founded in. Father, we just give you glory and praise for this time. I thank you that your word is alive and active, it's sharper than any two edged sword. It divides today between soul and spirit. Father, I pray this word is encouraging, it's impactful, uh, and strengthening to the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And hey, as we're getting into this, I want to encourage you to lean into this word today. Uh, Grab your Bible uh, out with me. Um, Take notes. Lean in today. Um, I believe this is a word that God has for you. Uh, He's ordained this time. Uh, Even though we may be pre-recording something like this, this is an opportunity for you, a word for you in season right now. Uh, I want to jump into Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, many of you may know of this chapter referenced as the uh, faith chapter, the hall of faith, and uh, a very popular verse on faith, and that's what we're going to be discussing today uh, as we're going through this, is strengthening and encouraging our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it reads this way in the New King James. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It goes on to say in verse two, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony or a good report. And so we wanna take a look at a couple things here. First off, this word evidence, uh, just naturally defined, this word evidence means this, that which tends to prove or disprove something. Uh, it goes on to mean a grounds for belief. Evidence means something that which uh, tends to prove or disprove something. It means a grounds for belief. This is an interesting that our mind, uh, an interesting thing that our mind does uh, when we come to the conclusion of something, or we begin to uh, develop an, a conclusion or the end of something. We will begin to collect evidence to support. Our conclusion. We'll begin to uh, look at things in the natural to try to support and prove what we've already come to a conclusion of. What this verse is telling us here in verse one faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, We know this about God. In fact, uh, later down in verse six of this chapter, it says of God that without faith, it's impossible to please him. God is only moved by faith. God only operates by faith. That means God is always operating and living in that which has not seen, that which has not yet occurred or taken place. And so God is always in a realm of an area where things are not seen, which means he's already come to the conclusion of something Uh, before he even starts, before he even gets started. That's why he could point out a man named Abraham. At seventy-five years of age, who's barren, unable to have children, has not had children, and calls him a father of many nations. What is that? That is speaking by faith of what he believes uh, Abraham has the potential to produce. Nothing in the same realm supports that conclusion. He goes later on uh, to a man named Gideon, who's fearful. Uh, he's the smallest of his clan. His clan is the smallest tribe, and and he's hiding out in a, in a time of crisis in a time of challenge. And he speaks of Gideon and he says, you are a mighty man of valor. God always points to the end of things, end of something before he even begins. He states the conclusion of something. And so what happens is, is then when we start entering into a life of faith, we have to understand that we are beginning to get God's word on what he believes or what he says of something in how it's going to conclude, how it's going to end. And so God is not uh, waiting for things to line up and waiting for things to show up in our lives to support or bring evidence uh, to prove or disprove what he has already said is going to come to pass. Uh, We know this over in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. So what I hear is how I develop this faith uh, that is the conclusion of something or the end of something, not by what I see, not by uh, the way things are going or the way things are lining up. And see, we ultimately, we, we get into faith Uh, In in the beginning, I mean, faith is built, we get God's word by his stripes, we are healed. Uh, We get God's word that uh, he will supply and meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We get these words and we hear them. And again, God is speaking to the conclusion of a thing or to the end of a thing. But then what can be dangerous is then we begin to limit our faith by the natural We begin to limit our faith by collecting evidence. And this is the thing about collecting evidence. Whatever I believe, I can find evidence to support it. Um, I like to put it this way. I can find an excuse or I can find a reason. I can find reasons in the word of God to believe in healing, or I can find excuses by things around me to support that healing is not mine. Um, We know this, that the word of God being left alone to man's interpretation um, can come to all sorts of conclusions. But we also know that the Word of God is steadfast. The Word of God remains. The Word of God is sure. The Word of God is a solid rock. Uh, Jesus said that uh, the, the grass may wither, the flower may fade, but the Word of God will stand forever. So we understand that the Word of God is not subject to our opinions, to our interpretations to our conclusions. Uh, But what happens is, is we will limit our faith when we believe this way. Ultimately, this is uh, what is taking place. Ultimately, faith believes God's word in spite of physical evidence. I'll say that again. Ultimately, faith believes God's word in spite of physical evidence evidence. If it's left up to me, if it's left up to what I'm seeing, if it's left up to what I'm going through, then I can come to all sorts of conclusions. I can make all kinds of assumptions. I can uh, pan out in my mind. And and people are doing this in our day and age today. People already have ideas of, of what's going to happen in the next month, in the next six months, in the next year, uh, how this is going to affect this and how this is going to change that. And, and, and there's a difference between planning and, preparing and getting full on over into worry and concern where we begin to build pictures in our mind and we begin to come up with evidence to support even the worst outcomes. I like to say it this way that, you know, when I see someone that is a class A worrier, so to speak, someone that lives in worry, someone that lives in panic and in doubt and unbelief, that can easily be flipped because what they're doing actually with worry and doubt and unbelief, you're exercising faith in the wrong thing. By worrying about what might come and by coming to conclusions of, well, this is gonna take place and it's gonna lead to this and then this gonna, we can draw out these patterns, but you're really exercising the principle of faith. You're believing in something that has not yet even taken place. You're, you're putting a belief system and grounding a belief system in something that has yet to happen. And man, it can become images in our mind and we can live with terror, live with panic this way as we're building these conclusions in our mind. Well, that's just simply the principle of faith exercised in the wrong, wrong arena. And what will happen is people will then build evidence to support their conclusions, They will come up with a list of things. They will have all the natural indicators that will tell them that this is the trend we're going. This is the direction that's gonna take place. And we've got to be careful living this way. Faith comes by what we hear. Notice this, not by what we see. Faith comes by what we hear, not by what we see. In fact, um, I like to put it this way. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. If faith is living in what I cannot see, then the opposite would mean that I live only by what I can see. That now I limit my life by what is visually happening around me. I, I'm, I am operating my life and the indicators of what a conclusion is going to be becomes my natural eyes my natural sight. There is no greater way to hinder your faith than to live by sight. In fact, the word of God tells us we don't walk or we don't live by sight. We walk and we live by faith. So if faith comes by hearing, then we could put it this way, faith is destroyed by seeing. If faith comes by hearing, then faith can be destroyed by seeing. So now I've got to learn how to live in this life of faith and faith has to be built. Faith has to be strengthened. We know this, that faith, um, I like to liken it to a muscle where we all have muscles. The Bible says that we've been given a measure of faith. We all have muscles, but, but we have all built them, developed them, strengthened them to greater or lesser degrees. So the question of is, what is my level of faith? What have I strengthened my faith to? What have I built my faith upon and grounded my faith in? Just because I know a conclusion by his stripes, I'm healed, does not mean that I will remain in that conclusion if I don't put blinders up and if I don't begin to isolate my sight life. Because the bottom line is, is many times you will have all the wrong indications that you have a word from God. Many times we'll see all the wrong things begin to pan out and trend, but this is the thing, none of those move God. None of those uh, move God and his word and it shouldn't move or shake us either. And so if faith comes by hearing, it can be destroyed By seeing. So I want to take you over to a story. It's found in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to kind of dive into this chapter and just take it piece by piece, because this is a very remarkable story. Although it's a very sad story, uh, there is so much that we can learn here. Uh, At this point, Numbers chapter 13, Moses has delivered his people, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. We're talking over four generations, over 400 years of bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. The Israelites have come out. They've seen God move in a mighty way by delivering them from Pharaoh uh parting the red sea uh waters come out of rocks uh the the lord has fought battles for them um there have been so many amazing things manna on the ground birds bringing uh dinner at night god is sustaining them and keeping them in miraculous ways So we've even got physical evidence, visible evidence of how God has worked for these Israelites. God has shown himself strong. God has shown himself in a mighty way. But we know through the course of this wilderness journey, they did not remain in their faith with God. See, what happens is, is God can show us even visibly, even tangibly ways that he's working on our behalf. But if I don't learn and develop a faith system in my heart, then I will be moved by what I see. I'll be moved by what uh, uh, is happening around me. If if I don't see God operating miraculously and as visibly and tangibly as he had before, I'll begin to question, God, where are you? God, what's happening? Uh, are you even there? We begin to come up with all kinds of conclusions, other than what God's word says. So that's a dangerous way to live, sight driven. And so here in Numbers chapter 13, it's actually starts out very exciting. They know that the wilderness is not where they're going to land, not where they're going to stay. That wasn't the promise of God. We know that there was a promised land, promised land with an ed on the end of it, past tense given to Abraham generations ago, thousands of years ago, a promise was made to a man named Abraham that I'm going to redeem my people and I'm going to bring them back to this land of Canaan. This is their land. I'm going to prosper them. I'm going to take care of them. I have given them this land. That's God's word. That's God's word. That's God's conclusion. And God was never moved by slavery. God was never moved by bondage. God was never moved when there was a Red Sea in front of them. God was never moved when their enemies came upon them. God was never moved. There was no natural indicator that ever moved God off of his word. The conclusion is, this is your land. This is your territory. And actually starts out here, Numbers chapter 13 and verse one says this, the Lord now said to Moses, so what? He's speaking his word, which means Moses is hearing the word send out men to explore the land of Canaan. And he goes on to say, the land I am giving to the Israelites. God's not worried about this. God isn't wondering or deciding or go check it out and see if this is the territory I have for them, see if this is gonna work. He's making a conclusive statement, again, from the beginning. They they haven't even gone into the land to spy it out yet. He's saying from the beginning, I'm sending you in to spy out the land, not to determine if I'm going to give it to you. God's word is never at the mercy of our opinions. God's word never becomes subject to what we see. So he's saying, the land I am giving to the Israelites, send out men to explore this land. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So God is not saying, uh, I'm giving this land based upon what the Israelites discover. God declares this from the beginning. That means everything that follows is uh, uh, supposed to support God's Uh, statement, I am giving this land to the Israelites. That's the conclusion. That's the end of it. And so we know from here, it goes on to say verse three. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of the leaders. And it goes on and gives those names. I want to jump on down to verse 16. And it says, these are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hoshea, son of Nun, by the name Joshua. Moses gave the men these instructions. And as he sent them out to explore the land, go north through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like. This is interesting now. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. Remember, these are the instructions that Moses is now giving. Verse 19, see what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring samples of the crops. And look at this. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe Grapes. So now Moses has the men exploring this land according to the word of God. God's already declared, I'm giving this land to the Israelites. Really, that in essence is a reminder. They've always been on this track, they've always been on this uh, opportunity to take the promised land. They knew where they were going. So Moses is giving instructions further go in and discover the land. And he asked them to basically categorize. The land at this point is the. Are, are the men there strong or weak? Are there few, or are there many? Is it good or is it bad? Is it fortified or is it unsecure? Fertile or poor? Is the ground able to uh, develop crops, grow crops? God never asks us to categorize His promise. God only asks us to believe His promise. And this is where the danger can come because we can get into a mode of, we receive a word from God, whatever you're believing for, whatever you're believing for right now. We're in a mode where we are believing God's word over natural conditions. We're believing God's word over natural indicators that they may never point to what we believe God's word says. They may never prove and show us and, 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 and give us the right trends, uh, that, that naturally we want to see. If you're believing, uh, uh, God for your health and you're believing for a report that, well, we know what God's word says about our health. We know that divine health is ours. We know that we can believe for healing in our own physical bodies. Well, ultimately the next time you want to go to the doctor or the next time you go to the doctor, what do you want to hear? we obviously want to hear from the doctor you're healed or at least we're seeing it dissipate we're seeing it go away we're seeing things get better we're 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 always on edge looking for those natural indicators but this is dangerous because if we're not careful we'll slip out of believing the word of god and we'll we'll take a hit by what the natural realm and by what the natural senses tell us. What we have to understand is, again, God's word is never subject to natural conditions. God's word word is never limited by what we see in the natural. And so here, they're going in and they are discovering, they're exploring, but this is the thing we have to understand. God's promises are never conditional. Say it again, God's promises are never conditional. Conditional. God's promises never operate at the mercy of our natural senses. Whether you see it in the natural or not, His Word is the same. Whether you see things align in the natural or not, we believe the Word of God. We remain steadfast in His Word. Uh, you could put it this way God's not asking us to go in to determine if we will take the land. You're not going in to determine if you will take the land. You're going in to determine how to take the land. By going in and analyzing the land and by going in and exploring it according to the word of God, the land that was already given them, by going in and uh, implementing these measures of discovering and exploring, it would give them a strategic tactic in how to take this land. It would give them opportunity to see how are we going to go in? We're not questioning if this is the land we're supposed to take, but we wanna hear from the Lord how. And so when we're gathering information and even when we're analyzing things naturally, it's not a question of if God is my supply. It's a question of how does God wanna meet my supply in this season? because God will give us a word. God will give us a direction. God will have a a plan in place to see healing come to pass, to, to see our finances come to pass, to see a marriage restored. God will give us a plan, but God's word and God's promise, the conclusion never bows to the plan. The plan always supports the conclusion. And so God's not asking them to go in to determine if this is their land. They're not going into it. Well, you know, is this really the land flowing with milk and honey? Is this really the promised land? You know, are are we really able to take it? None of those things were questions that it should have ever been brought to the table. God's word is God's word. It's conclusive. It's the end of a thing. And now we're going in to analyze and to discover and explore, God, how are we going to see this thing take place? How are we going to see this promise come to pass? And so it says that they went up uh, through different regions here. They're exploring, they're discovering. I mean, it gives different areas they see. In verse 22, it says, going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron. And there they come into contact with descendants of Anak. Anak was giants. These were giants that they saw in this land. Verse 23 says they came to the valley of Eshcol. They cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole. So look, right here in this exploration and this discovery, this search that God has sent them on, they have already discovered something positive and something negative. This is still the promised land. We're still journeying and we're still walking through the purpose and the promise that God has declared over them. You think God was surprised that there were giants? You think God is blown away that their cities were well fortified? Do you think God is blown away by the things that they found? God, again, is not limiting his promise to what they find in the promised land. But they're going in and they're taking uh, 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 an inventory, so to speak of the promise of God. And Moses has them categorizing as if, well, if they're weak, we can take it. If they're strong, we can't. If there's few, it's ours. But if there's many, we've got a question. That's not how God's word operates. That's not how God operates when he gives us his promises. And again, our faith is contingent. It's hinging on what we're believing, what we're settled in, before we ever get started, what are we settled in? So they find grapes that are so large that they have to be carried on a pole between two grown men, but they also find giants. It goes on to say that they brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut down there. Verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. Now here is where things really start to get rocky. This is where things really start to shift. They cut down a cluster of grapes. Remember this, they cut down a cluster of grapes. It was so large, they had to carry it on a pole and they're bringing it back to the Israelites to show them, to prove to them, this is what the land's producing. This is what is in this land, the wilderness, or the the, the promised land. We're coming out of the wilderness into the promised land to show them visibly again that this is the promised land of God but we have to be careful with this because our report no matter what we see no matter what we find our report is never greater than god's report our report what we come up with as a conclusion what what we see And so this is the thing is we're, 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 we're going through this test and we're going through these battles and we're going through these seasons where we're standing in faith. We're believing God for an outcome. We're believing God. You you might receive a a, a prophetic word about a situation, or you may just simply be standing on God's word because we have a word there's no condition there's no challenge there's there's nothing you'll ever come against in life that you cannot find God's word and God's word is forever settled in heaven it's yes and amen it will come to pass it will show up in our life but what happens is as we begin this faith journey and as we are going through even challenges and trials and tests What will take place is we'll start to get our eyes off of God's word and we'll start looking at natural indicators. Now, many times when we're going through a season and initially... Faith will bring excitement. Faith will bring joy. Faith will bring gratitude. Faith will bring perseverance. Faith will build something in you. I mean, you've probably been in those services where you're believing God for something, going through something. Man, on a Sunday morning, I mean, the worship is going nuts. You're surrounded by believers. You receive a word from God that is speaking right to you. How many times do we sit in services and we say, man, that was a word for me. I need, it's because the Holy Spirit knows what you need. Because God knows exactly where you're at, myself, other pastors, we're not smart enough to know every scenario in every situation in the room, but the Holy Spirit does, and He knows how to take one message and cut it down to individuals to speak directly to a season you're in. Well, man, when you walk out of those services, I mean, that afternoon, maybe even into the early part of the week, man, you're excited. You're joyful. You're speaking the word. You're meditating on the word. I mean, it's there in front of you. I mean, you're, you're thinking about the great conclusion. You're thinking about how this thing can turn out for the good, for your benefit, what you're believing for. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something to do with your kids. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a financial situation. And then what we'll start doing is we start highlighting all the natural things that begin to align, all the natural indicators. Maybe you're standing, uh, you know, for your marriage and, and all of a sudden you're, you're highlighting that your spouse all of a sudden is starting to respond better, starting to treat you. And, and what do we do? We're taking inventory. We're taking those natural things and we're saying, man, we're, you know what? This is working. I, I believe God is working. I believe his word is working. So we start taking inventory even of the positive things. But what is dangerous is if we relegate the promise of God to the positive, we can tend to do the very same thing with the negative. If the positive things that are happening are indicators that God's promise is coming to pass, then what about the negative? What about when we don't see the responses we think we should see? What if we don't get the report from the doctor that we believe we should hear? I'm standing in faith, I'm standing on your word, your word promises me healing. Therefore, every report and every natural thing ought to line up with your promise. Well, what happens when that doesn't take place? See, this is the danger that if I subject my faith and my belief system to even positive natural things, it's going to be easily as shaken when the negative comes. If my faith is only grounded because I'm seeing the right things take place, then what happens when I see the wrong things? This is why, see, see, perspective forms everything everything in our life is relative to the perspective or the perception. You may have even heard people say perceptions actually greater than reality. How I perceive something is actually, uh, uh, more dangerous to me than the reality of what's taking place. I mean, that's, that's the strength of our media. And that's the strength of even social media that we have today It's because I can put out a perception of something even though the reality of it is way different. And of course, we only project what we want the perception to be. We only put out, we only project what we want it to look like, what we want people to think our home life looks like, what we want people to think our marriage. looks But on, on, on Instagram, we've got this great look behind the scenes. We're really struggling. It's in turmoil. We're actually going through day by day, wondering how we're even going to make it to the next day. So perception is dangerous. And so, again, if we're not careful, we'll allow all these natural circumstances to move us rather than remaining fixed on the word of God. Remember, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is never limited by the scene. Faith is never limited by by what I can see with my natural eyes. Faith is never limited by what I'm viewing, feeling, sensing. Uh, uh, And so if my belief system becomes subject to the natural, then I cannot remain fixed on the word of God. So they come up and they bring uh, a report and they bring the fruit of the land. They produced this fruit in verse 27. It says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it indeed is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the kind of fruit it produces. They collected evidence to support a certain conclusion. They collected physical, natural evidence to support a thought process that, yeah, it it is a bountiful land. It is producing great harvest. It it does have a lot going on right now. It is uh, looking like the land that God spoke to us. They have collected this natural evidence. But verse 28, this is where everything changes. They go on to say, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. Again, what did Moses instruct them to do? Go find out if they're strong or if they're weak. Go find out if they're well fortified, well secured, or if they're not secured very well. Go find out if the ground is fertile for producing crops. Go find out if it's a great and vast land. Go and find these things. So they're, they're categorizing again, not to discover if they're going to take the land, to discover how, to be prepared and to to plan ahead. God wants you, God's a planner. God wants you to plan and be prepared, but he doesn't ever want your plans and your preparations to move you off of his purpose. We know the Bible says that many are the plans in a man's heart, but ultimately it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. My plans are futile if they don't align with the word of God. My plans, any preparation I can come up with, any natural measure, any natural precaution that I implement in my life that doesn't align with his promise, with his purpose, and with his word is subject to failure. It's subject to change. It's, it, it's, it's futile. I cannot build my life on my own natural ability to fight off certain things. You're gonna get to a point in our lives, we all will, We're going to have to make the decision. Are we going to stand on the word of God? Are we going to declare his promises? Are we going to remain fixed in what he says over what we see? Will I believe what God says? Or will I be moved by what I see? We'll all come to this point. In our lives, and so now they've produced this great evidence, this great harvest uh, uh, of the the crops. They've brought these fruits, this massive cluster of grapes—natural evidence. But now, verse twenty-eight, they're discovering that the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. By the way, they only named three. We saw giants there the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. The An- now they're going, and, and notice the balance here of the positive versus the negative. The, the negative far outweighs the positive. And isn't this what we do in life? Isn't this, isn't this how we produce and collect our natural evidence is that we will uh, many times lean on the negative and the negative voice will be much louder than the positive. The, The negative things will be much greater, seem like they come running at us We have to dig for the positives to find out that God's moving, God's working. But the natural or the the negative just seems to be coming at us. And it's, you don't, I mean, you don't even have to intentionally look for it. It comes and finds you. There's always going to be something in the natural to try to move you off of God's promise. It will always be there. You have to make a decision. You have to make a choice to remain steadfast in his word. The Canaanites live along the coast, the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people. Watch this in verse 30. He tried to quiet the people. Why? I've got to shut that voice down. I've got to shut this. These voices uh, coming back with their evidence, he's recognizing they're not just merely bringing a report of what they found. They're bringing a belief system. See, this is the key with reports. This is what we have to understand. When we go in and we're surveying the land, we're taking inventory, we're, we're by God's word, searching, discovering, exploring. Here's what we have to understand. We're not going in to get a report. You're going in with a report. See, this changes everything. I'm not going in to get a report of is this the land, if this is God's will. You know, we we ask that, you know, well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. If it's God's will, he'll restore. No, 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 we know what God's word is. I'm not going in to discover or get a report. I'm going in with a report. This is the land he's giving me. This is the promise. This belongs to me. This is mine. This faith is the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by what? By faith, the elders obtained a good... They got a report, a good testimony, a good report by faith, not by what they saw. And so I cannot go into a, a, a territory or go into a situation where I already have a promise from God to collect evidence that brings me to any other conclusion other than what God's promise was. I cannot allow any evidence I collect to move me off of his promise. Caleb tries to quiet the people. He says this, let's go at once. He's recognizing, man, we need to bite this thing in the bullet. We need to get going now. We don't need to wait and talk about this because if we allow this to just keep festering, man, negativity is gonna run rampant through the camp. People are gonna back out. People are gonna forget the promise of God. And this is how we operate. He says, let's go at once and take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. What's he doing? He's remaining fixed on God's word. He's remaining. He, he, he's, I don't even remember. Joshua and Caleb went in out of 12 spies two come back with a good report. The other 10 have a bad report. The other 10 have a report that going on here says, we can't take this. We can't do this. Verse 31 says, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. You know, one thing I've I've, I've learned and discovered about God's word is God's word needs my agreement for it to come to pass in my life. But I don't need to take a poll, to take a survey, to get the majority opinion. All it takes is one man to operate in obedience to the word of God to see it come to pass we don't need the majority. I don't care what the doctors are saying. I don't care what the bank is saying. I don't care, uh, what, what, what anybody else has to say. You know, I've noticed uh, a lot of times if I'm doing any kind of counseling, marriage counseling, any of those kind of things, usually, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you've got one that wants to fight for the marriage, the other that either doesn't see a problem or wants out. And, it's amazing how the, the one will, will rally people around them, the one that doesn't care or the one that wants out, just wants to walk away. They will have all kinds of people in their corner rallying them to walk away. Oh man, you need to leave. I can't believe they did that. You need to, you need to walk away from that. You need to get out of that. That's dangerous. You need to... God's word does not need the support of, of multiple majority opinions to support it. No, Joshua and Caleb, two men out of 12, come back with a good report. And now we've got these other 10 that disagree, but that does not change God's plan. That doesn't change God's promise. They literally respond right back in verse 31. and says, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we. They've already come to what? A conclusion. They haven't fought these guys. They haven't even had a battle where they can even determine who's stronger, who's better. They've already come to a conclusion in their mind. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we. Verse 32 says that they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Can you just picture these 10 spies walking through different camps, walking through different families, different tribes, different units. Man, you should have seen what we saw today. Man, we went in, we were in there, we spied out the land and man, you should have seen those giants. It was the craziest thing. There's no way we can, I mean, just spreading fear and panic. Does that sound familiar? It just takes one voice. It just takes one voice to, to begin to spread and it spread. And have you ever noticed that the negative spreads a lot quicker, faster, more rapidly than the positive? Uh, I mean, and, and if you have a positive voice in the midst of negative voices, the negative voices will do everything they can to shut down the positive. The voices that disagree with the promise of God will do everything they can. They will call you out. They will call you the one that, you, I mean, you will take a hit when you speak the promises of God in the midst of crisis and challenge. Be ready for it. Be, you will be that guy. You will be that person. You will be that church that you take a stand for what you know a promise of God states. It's amazing how quickly even Christians will abandon what the word of God says. For the majority opinion, they will walk away from what the sure foundation says to side with a party to echo and resonate with everybody else's banter. They'll do it. They'll walk away from the word so quickly, but it just takes one person. They spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were hid, huge. Now here's the next danger. When we come up with a negative report, all of a sudden it becomes everyone, all the time, all the people. Uh, it, there were three giants in the land, three. It, it names them. But now they've come up with the statement of, All the people we saw there were huge. Verse 33, we even saw giants. Now this is even more dangerous. It's one thing to come up with a conclusion about your enemy. It says, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And watch this. And that's what they thought too you think they they, they they took one of these guys aside and had a conversation and asked them what they thought they are building a conclusion of themselves in the minds of their enemy. They have allowed their enemy to determine their identity they have see the the Israelites were so bound by sight they were slaves to sight driven Lives. That's what happened in Egypt. That was really the, the great downfall for this group. God could bring them out of Egypt, but he couldn't bring them into the promised land. Even though God brought them out of Egypt, there was one thing. He could not get Egypt out of them. They remained slaves even though they were freed, even though they were physically not in bondage any longer. They remained bound in their minds, in their souls. They remained bound in the way that they lived. They remained bound in having to go from one miracle to the next, grumbling and complaining to get God to move on their behalf. And ultimately, they died in the wilderness with a slave mentality a slave sight-driven mentality. They had been so uh, uh, taught and, and, and trained by the Egyptians and broken by the Egyptians to live this way that they could not see the possibility of an outcome according to God's word and according to God's promise. And so we recognize here that now they've collected this evidence. They've collected these clusters of grapes. They've collected that it is a a land flowing with milk and honey. They've collected that this is uh, a land that is well fortified. Uh, it's, Its soil is great for harvesting. It happened to be the time of planting. It happened to be the time of harvesting. So they're seeing the bountifulness of this land. But they also collected evidence to support a conclusion that did not align with the word of God. And this is the danger. If you will allow natural evidence to uh, support a conclusion that God's given you, if you will allow sight to determine your faith, then don't be surprised when sight destroys your faith. I'll say it again. If you allow sight to determine your faith, then don't be surprised when sight destroys your faith. When I'm going through a challenge, I'm going through a test and man, I I begin to see positive things taking place, man. I'm thankful. Uh, I'm grateful. It's just awesome to see uh, uh, God working in my life, see things moving, see things shifting even in the natural, because that's what faith does. Faith moves what we believe is already taking place in the spirit, moves it, into the natural realm. And man, that's exciting when you see heaven come, when you see healing occur, when you see breakthrough happening in your finances. Man, that's so awesome. But what we have to be careful of is that now I begin to limit my belief system by what I see with my eyes. I'm grateful that things are happening, but regardless of what I see in the natural, it doesn't move me off of what I believe is taking place in the spirit, Regardless of what the doctor says, you can give me a good report. You can give me a bad report. I still stand on this report. You can give me a, a report that my finances are turning around. You can give me a report that they'll never come back. Doesn't matter. I'm still standing on the word of God that he, he is my source. He's my provider. He will sustain me. He will keep me. I'm grounded in the word of God, regardless of what I see in the natural This is the thing. Where I fix my focus is where I feed my faith. Where I fix my focus is where I feed my faith. My faith. This is why I was saying earlier that even with those, uh, you know, when I see people in worry or in anxiety and man, they're just giving all kinds of images and all kinds of things that could potentially take place. This could happen. That could happen. This is going to happen. This is what's going to, this is what it's going to look like. And you're just coming up with all these conclusions and assumptions. Well, that's just a matter of putting your focus in the wrong area. And wherever I put my focus, that's where I can expect my faith to be built. How do I remain steadfast in the word? I stay in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith comes by hearing, well, guess what? What I hear is where I build my faith. What I hear is, with my ears what i'm allowing my senses to be open and available to whether it's through my eyes whether it's through my ears even emotionally what i'm feeling if i allow those things to to drive my belief system then that's where i'm going to have my faith built that's where i'm going to supplant my faith and ground my faith so if i want to build my faith in the word then i must uh, regularly meditate hear the word, keep it in front of me, get it in my heart, get it a part of my belief system, not just lip service, but get it into my heart from my heart. Then I put it into my mouth. I'm confessing it. I'm saying it. I'm declaring it in spite of what it looks like, in spite of what it feels like, in spite of what anybody else is saying. No natural uh, indicator will move me off of the word of God when I remain fixed in the word of God. Colossians chapter three tells us this. If then, in verse one, if then you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek those things that are where? Above. Seek. That means to intentionally go after. That means that I'm intentionally putting my focus somewhere. It goes on to say, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Set your mind. That word set literally means it means fixed. It means grounded. It means immovable. Set your mind. That means it's fixed. It's grounded. It's immovable. I'm setting my mind. I'm fixing my mind. I'm planting my mind on the things of God. It tells me this, that if I need to set my mind, then there must be things that will come in my life to try to get me off of the word of God. And just as I can collect natural evidence to support it, I can also find natural evidence to deny it, to disagree with the word of God. So I have to set my mind because there will be things that will come and show up in my life to try to shake me, move me and get me off of the word of God. Where I fix my focus is where I build my faith. Where I fix my focus is where I feed my faith. So I'm fixing, setting putting my mind grounded on the word of God so I cannot be moved out of faith in what his promises say. His promises are never subject to my opinions, my belief system. I've got to align my belief, my faith in God's word. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10 In verse 23, says it this way, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, watch this, without wavering. So if it's telling me to hold fast to my confession of hope without wavering, that's an indication that something may try to come in my life to shake me, to move me, to sway me off of what I believe off of what I see, off of what I know God's word. Am I gonna live my life by what God says or am I gonna live my life by what I see? He goes on to say, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised, there's the promise and he is faithful. He will complete it. He is faithful to perform his promises. God is not just a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. God doesn't just say things and then not follow through. He is faithful. What do I need to do? I need to remain faithful to his word. I need to remain secure in what he says. I need to remain fixed in what his word says over what I see, over what I feel, over what I hear we declared this verse earlier, but I want to give it to you again. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 uh, Corinthians chapter five and verse seven, the new King James reads, for we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk and that word. Walk can be uh, translated live. It can be uh, appropriated with uh, the word living. So when we're talking about walking, we're talking about living. We walk by faith, not by sight. And the new living reads this way for we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. Ultimately, we have to recognize our sight will deceive us. Our sight, your sight will let you down. The natural indicators, if you are working to collect evidence to support a conclusion, you've got to be very careful. They were moved. They had brought in evidence of grapes, but they also brought in evidence of giants. And if I build my faith upon the fact that there are grapes, then I will destroy my faith on the fact that there are giants. If, I, if my faith is limited and submitted to what I see and I'm always needing, a, if I subject my faith to live at the mercy of natural indications, then the positive indications will keep me in faith and the negative indications will move me out of faith. It's that simple. My faith can never be limited by collecting evidence in the natural. My faith can never be limited but what I'm seeing, I want to encourage you. In 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 times, seasons of challenges, uh, struggles, uh, Jesus said uh, that we will endure trials and tribulations. But He also said, "Be of good cheer." Why? For He's overcome the world. What's the conclusion? I've overcome. What's the end goal? It's over. We have the victory. This is the victory that we have, even our faith. He has stated a conclusion, and then he helps us identify that there's going to be things leading up through this that might try to point you away from the conclusion, might try to point you away from the promise, might even try to deny or disagree with what I'm saying right now, but be of good cheer anyways. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. The conclusion remains the end or remains the same. The end uh, is 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 never uh, uh, at the mercy of what lines up or what happens in our lives. So we have to stay encouraged in this. Have to stay encouraged that I will not limit my faith by what I see, by what I hear, by what I feel. I will not be moved. I'm setting my mind. In times of trial, challenge, these opportunities, that is where we have to all the more be in the word of God. What would have happened if these Israelites would have come back from this uh, excursion and from this exploration of the promised land and come back and said, here's what we saw. There was some good, there was some bad. But now let's spend some time reflecting on what God said, because Moses, before you sent us out, you said that he was giving us this land. So regardless of what we see, they, they could have set out from the beginning and said, guys, we're going in, but let's all agree that no matter what we see in here, we're not going to let us, let it move us from what we just heard Moses say. Moses said, God's giving us this thing. What would have happened if they came back from that trip and brought a report that said, these are the things, this is the inventory. This is what took place. And now we're gonna build a plan because the walls are fortified. How are we gonna bring them down? There are giants. So what's our plan of attack? The ground is fertile, so we're going to have to prepare ourselves to become harvesters and, 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 and get ready to go into some farming and, and, and working with crops. These were ways that they could prepare themselves and ready themselves for the promise of God, not walk away from the promise of God. What would have happened if they came back and said, we are going to stay with God's word regardless of what I see? regardless of the indications that we saw, regardless of all the uh, indicators and the evidence that we can build, we're going to remain fixed with what God said. What if they would have come to that conclusion? Ultimately, we know that these Israelites, all but Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. Guys, there is so much that's being compromised when we don't remain settled in God's word. There is so much, and and, and this is the thing, is we're not just compromising ourselves. We're not just compromising our access. Who do we need to stand in faith for? Who do we need to stand in faith with? What do we need to stand in faith about? Because there are things that we are going to gain access to in this life that are only going to come by faith. It's not going to come because all the natural indicators lined up. You know, a lot of times that can be the easiest thing. And this isn't to say that natural indicators are always wrong, but we have to be led by the spirit first. If we take natural measures or natural precautions at the expense of using faith, then we're limited to the natural measure or the natural precaution. We can utilize natural resources and we can um, um, allow those things to guide and direct as long as we are first being led by the spirit of God. But there are plenty of times throughout the word of God and in the, the life of the believer, the kingdom believer, that we are going to go well against any natural measure, that it will be unnatural, because that's what faith does. If faith is moving something from the spirit realm to the natural realm, then that means it's not always gonna align. That means it's not always going to agree with what the natural system has in place. We have to be led by the spirit and we have to operate by faith. Operating by faith does not mean that I always disregard natural things, but it means that I am not led by natural things. So I wanna encourage you with that today, that what you hear is always far greater than what you see. And when you become grounded in faith and grounded in the word of God, and you allow your faith to be separated from natural indicators and recognize, look, this is what God said, regardless of what I see, I'm walking this out, I'm standing on this word, I'm gonna believe in the promise of God, you will see it. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.